0: This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more.
1: Hello and welcome to The Way Forward. I'm Ross Snell, news editor at Barron's Advisor. And today I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with George Perez, a co-founder of GenTrust. That's a Miami-based wealth management firm that also has offices, in New York and Puerto Rico, George. Thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Pleasure, Ross. Thanks for having me.
1: So, George, Gentrust is coming up on its tenth anniversary, but some listeners might not be familiar with your firm. Could you give us a brief introduction?
0: Sure, Ross. Uh, well, ten years. It's uh, it's really a blessing in celebrating our tenth uh, year anniversary. Uh, we started, you know, back in two thousand and eleven. Uh, three advisors coming out of Merrill Lynch, uh, myself, Jorge Herrera, and Gisa Caris, along with our partner and CIO, Jim Beesel, who was coming out of a, a large he- uh, macro hedge fund in uh, Element Capital, um, to form Gentras. Um In describing our firm, I like to say, we're what we call an investment management firm built inside a, a wealth advisory practice. Uh, if you look at our firm internally, there's 32 employees, 11 of them are in the investment team, which is kind of different if you look at other RIAs in the space. Uh, so we're really focused on this, you know, high-touch investment management component, you know, along with everything else that comes with uh, an advisory practice, you know, financial planning, estate planning, you know, family office and uh, lifestyle services that come and complement everything else we do.
1: And so I understand that you guys last year in 2020 – had your largest ever annual growth in assets under management. And that was even as COVID was obviously raging. Was that simply a factor of the market's impressive rally following the deep sell-off of February and March last year?
0: It's a little bit of uh, that and 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 new clients, to be honest with you. We had uh, coming going into late 2019, we were working on several large relationships that were kind of come on board in 2020 um, that... Did come in early in the year. I think January and February was when most of those assets arrived. Um, so that and 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 the fact that if you if you remember in 2019, um, markets had rallied. Um, we were taking a more conservative approach. We were a little under underweight equities. So when we you know when pandemic hit and we had the big sell off in uh, February March. We were in a good position to, you know, keep to our discipline, rebalance our portfolios. And, and and then what happened next, you know, was to our advantage as the markets recuperated, you know, fairly quickly. Um, hence, you know, the, the large asset gains that we had in the portfolios.
1: And were you also able to bring in new clients over the course of 2020?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, like I said, in January and February, we brought in uh, two of uh, uh, two very, well, actually, three very large families that came on board and throughout the year, um, clients were adding also assets to their portfolios.
1: And how has growth been so far in 2021?
0: In 2021, the, the big difference in our growth has been we, um, right around the the time the vaccine started coming out, our investment team led by Jim Besaw, uh took a real um, aggressive approach on what we call recovery trades. And those turned out to be very well, right? Well, you know, leisure, hotels, you know, hospitality, I should say, and airlines. And so that helped also with the growth of 2021. Besides that, you know, client, you know, client referrals continue to come in. And that's part of our business.
1: And how do you guys target new clients? Do you rely mostly on word of mouth from existing clients? Do you engage in specific marketing activities? Uh, we do. We do. You know, things like this,
0: uh, we have several of our colleagues that speak, you know, regularly on, uh, on some of the, you know, whether it's CNBC or Bloomberg. But to be honest with you, Ross, most of our client referrals, you know, uh, are, are coming from existing clients, right? Um, they are, and I tell this to younger advisors, they're your biggest fans. Um, you know, if you do the right thing and you're servicing them well and then you're performing well, they're going to be your biggest cheerleaders. And, and if they have somebody... Uh, that they know who are, who's looking for an advisory firm, they're going to refer you. So to me, um, asking clients sometimes, which a lot of advisors don't do, is there somebody who could use our ser- you know use our services? Is something that's undervalued, or, or or sometimes advisors don't don't go that route, and they should, in my opinion.
1: You had mentioned something earlier that was really interesting. You talked about how you built GenTrust as this investment management firm inside a wealth management or inside an advisory firm. And and that's interesting because some RIAs have gone in another direction, which is outsourcing some or all of their investment management. And I wanted to ask you about the thinking behind that decision in, in structuring your firm.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. When we came together as a team back in two thousand eleven, we, we by default, I think we're we're all contrarians. Uh, we tend to be contrarians and 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 look at things a little differently. We wanted to build something and keeping our clients always in mind, right? Every decision we've made at the firm is centered what's best for our clients. And if we were going to go this route, I mean, in the RIA independence world, we wanted to create something that a our, our, it was going to be best for our clients. So when establishing this, you know, what some people call this seasoned in-house investment team was to bring that institutional mindset to investing, right? And by doing that right away, that that means cutting layers of fees for our clients. You know, we like to call it sophistication without conflict. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, 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 and that's really worked at, at the same time. We reinvested in a, in a robust technology, right? Um, where, where early on some of our hedge fund uh, uh, portfolio manager clients were like well talk to me about your risk management systems and I remember Jim telling us well we're building and they were like well call us back as soon as you have it done right <laughs> and then, <you> know <laughs> later on they all became clients but you know that's what we we focused on let's reinvest in the in the business let's do what's best for our clients and that by default led to other opportunities where we had RIAs, some regional banks, and other folks reaching out to us for TAMP services. So it's been a, a win-win for not only our clients but for us as a firm.
1: And in building that capability, you you developed a really deep bench of former Wall Street pros with a lot of experience on the institutional side, right?
0: Correct. Um, you know, I, I often say, put us in front of anyone. I'm um, I'm I'm super proud of the of the firm we've built great folks with great pedigrees and, and real, real good people. I mean, culture is all, you know, and when, when you look at RIAs, I often say to other, other folks, it's all about the culture. And if you had that right group of folks working together, you know, sky's the limit.
1: George, so given what you said about your in-house investment management team, I assume you have some pretty interesting alternative investment offerings for your clients.
0: Yeah, it's, listen, it's part of our asset allocation. I think uh, my partner uh, Eli Cohen who, who spearheads and, and runs all the alts uh, for, our, for our company and for our clients, says it best And he says in, 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 it's it, the portfolio is all about getting the cake right right And when you look at and my, what he means by that is getting that right asset allocation and focusing on low cost, tax efficient and returns available to, to the liquid markets, right alts are the icing. You should never, it should never, and this is somebody who does this for a living, right? It should never dominate the conversation. It should be a compliment to what, you know, the asset allocation is because it is an illiquid. It is, it's not tax efficient. So it's not for everybody. So with that being said, we, we've put together, or he has put together a pretty robust team where we you know we do our own due diligence in-house in sourcing some of these, you know, these funds or managers And and it's been successful. Um, You know, we've looked at you know rail cars. We've looked at biotech. um, You know, a couple of strategies internally that we know that 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 focus on mispricings in volatile markets. So we are uh, we are we have the offering. We're we're equipped to I think to to do something that some of the larger firms can't do. I mean, the larger firms, you know, they have access to that those top managers, us being a little more, more nimble, we can access and and bring in some real value to our client portfolios and choosing the right uh, managers that we see in the alternative space.
1: So you mentioned something that's very cutting edge biotech, and then something that's very traditional economy, rail cars, and the, the rail cars stand out as, as an interesting alternative. How does that work?
0: Well there they there it's a tax if, I mean I won't get too 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 much into it, <laughs> but the best way to explain it, it's a tax efficient strategy, right? That offers a stable high yield. It's illiquid because it's you know you have to, you know, it's the, these these rail cars have a life uh span. Um, but it's 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 work for our clients who I, I call it it's a boring part of the investment, but uh but practical as well.
1: George, that's interesting. So are there any other alternatives that you wanna Talk about that you're offering to clients right now.
0: I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Every client is different. And, and, and like we say, the, 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 the interesting part about a generous clients, no portfolio looks alike. So it's, it's, it all depends on the client, the risk, you know, appetite for the client, et cetera, that we implement different alternatives.
1: Now your headquarters are in Miami and I was wondering what advantages that provides to you as a firm.
0: That's a great question, Ross. Years ago, I would have said besides the weather, um, uh, it's it was the gateway to LATAM, right? Uh, every business, you know, from Mexico, Brazil, Central America, and the Caribbean, kind of filtered through Miami, right? Um, but what's interesting enough is after this pandemic, the amount of folks we're seeing from New York, California. In uh, other places of the United States, I mean, real estate here has gone, like in some other areas has gone berserk, but the, the, the wealth that has come into this area has been astronomical. I mean, in fact, not only the wealth, but we're seeing a lot of the talent following that, that wealth. So for a firm like ours, who's constantly looking for, you know, advisors to bring on or, or good, you know, internal investment folks, you know, we've become a pretty interesting landing place.
1: So both the the advisors and the clients are pouring into Florida. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're seeing a lot of that. I mean, the, you know, and hence the, the high real estate prices.
1: And you mentioned that Florida has been this gateway to Latin America, obviously, for years. To what degree are your clients residents of other countries or at least have ties to other countries?
0: Yeah, for the most part, all our clients are US citizens or residents, uh, but with ties to, uh, at least on the international, on the, on the Latin American side, with ties to their countries, whether it's in the Caribbean or South America. But for the most part, they're
1: all uh, US citizens. And what are the specific challenges or opportunities in serving that sort of client?
0: I tell you, Ross, it's a, and it's a great question, and, and I look at it a, a little different. I, I usually say um, they are international advisors and there are advisors that have international clients, and I'll explain both, okay, and what the difference is. Um, that international advisor that 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 travels to the region that has um, that has you know what I call boots on the ground has some type of office space there. Is there visiting all the time? Um, is involved in the community? Understands the culture. I, I you know I talk to younger advisors. Uh, at a mentorship level, and I often say you have to understand each culture because although we might all speak Spanish, speaking to somebody from Mexico and speaking to somebody from Puerto Rico might be totally different, and the cultures are totally different. So to be an international advisor, you really have to understand that market, hence why you see some of the, the best or the, or the largest international teams, whether they're from Brazil, Mexico, or other regions, they tend to be from that country, although they might reside here in the States, they tend to be from that country because they're they're involved in the country club. They're involved in all the you know all the all the all the events going on in that particular region. Where what I call myself is an advisor with international clients because I'm not doing what I just said, but we do have a lot of clients that are international. Um, it's funny, you know, I, I travel to Puerto Rico a lot, and some people say, "Well, that's you know, you're you're an international advisor." I go. <laughs> First of all, Puerto Rico is—they're uh, all U.S. citizens. That's number one, <laughs> and number two is yeah. And I've been traveling to Puerto Rico for twenty years on a monthly basis, and that's why I've been successful there. So once again, having having international clients like we do doesn't make us an international advisor. If, if you ask me what my vision is for Gentros, um, I would love to to create a you know what what I call a Gentros International division and bring in two or three advisors for that business that will spearhead real international advisory services, in my opinion.
1: Well, you say that you're not an international, you're not international advisors. But at the same time, if we're talking about Latin America, um, there's quite a number of folks at GenTrust who are of Hispanic or or Latin American um, origin, correct? Yes,
0: correct. Correct. Besides uh, myself and my partner, our COO, Zulai Labra, um, and several other folks that, uh, that have joined the firm uh, who are bilingual and, and, and are of Latin descent, um, have, are part of the firm.
1: So That would seem to give you a, a real edge. You talked about understanding culture and, and how culture can vary between different Latin American countries. That background among your staff would seem to give you a real edge in, in terms of understanding where folks are coming from.
0: One hundred percent. And most of these folks work with different uh, clients from different parts of, of, of Latin America and understand the cultures, the the likes and, and dislikes of each particular culture. Uh, I call it the, even the religions of each particular culture. And it's something important to understand and to better service the client. So it does definitely give us an edge um, on the international front.
1: And you, you mentioned Puerto Rico and how you've been traveling there for years. I wanted to note that GenTrust now has an office in Puerto Rico, and I wanted to ask you about the impetus behind that and how, how that business is progressing.
0: Yeah. So like I said, I've been traveling to Puerto Rico for about uh, 20 years, uh, two decades, now it's tough to even say, <laughs> uh, and visiting the island monthly. Um, I've had, we have a great uh, client base in Puerto Rico. The, the Puerto Rican client base we have uh, have been loyal, phenomenal. Really great folks that you know we've been around for a very long time with, and for me, and I often say it, and I've said it in several other interviews, um, the Puerto Rican investment community has been underserved um, by different by different factors. Right, one being, and everybody knows the the backle of the of the bonds and uh, and the closed end funds that happened there um, years ago, and 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 uh, and the loss of wealth that attributed to that in Puerto Rico. Um, the new approach, you know, that I've been, you know, servicing my clients with, and I want to bring to the Island, hence why we opened up an office there. It's a fiduciary approach. Um, but, uh, with that being said, is there are a lot of, ver- there's a lot of good advisors on the Island that are fiduciaries that are, that might be sitting at a warehouse. And, and those are the ones that I'm talking to now to, to partner up with us and bring this, bring this change to the Island. Like I said, I, there's a great opportunity there. The client base is great there, and, and I'm super bullish on uh, on Puerto Rico.
1: George, could you provide us with a bit of a breakdown in terms of how much advice on the island is commission-based versus fee-based advisory?
0: Sure. I mean, uh, we came in, and I've been practicing there, like I said, for 20 years, and it's always been fee-based. On the island, you tend to see a lot of uh, commission-based uh, products uh, being uh, being offered, uh, you see a lot of what we call annuities with commissions. You're seeing, you know, stock picking, et cetera. So it is a commission based environment. Although you are seeing now after the debacle of the what happened with the with the closed end funds, a lot of advisors have shifted their practices to more of a fee based uh,
1: practice. And you mentioned how you guys are looking to partner with some of the Wirehouse advisors in Puerto Rico. What exactly do you mean by that?
0: I, I believe uh, they are very good advisors sitting in the wirehouses, and that, similar to what happened to us many years ago, have outgrown that platform, and they and they want to look for something else that's better for their clients. And in and in doing that, they're going to look at somebody like us, a structured firm that is going to be able to provide their clients and them uh, that solution. We are solution driven, not product driven, and that's what a lot of these advisors we're actually talking to as we speak. Uh, to see if we can bring them on board and, and, and join us as partners uh, in Puerto Rico.
1: George, you also have another interesting client demographic, which is pro athletes and professional entertainers. And I was wondering whether you could talk about that group.
0: Sure, uh, Ross. Um, listen, I, I mean, our client base is very diverse. I mean, we have from hedge fund managers, we have portfolio managers, we have managing directors of some of the top financial companies in the country, companies in the country, um, business owners who've had entrepreneurs who've had early exits, um, even a central bank as a client. Uh, one of the, the niches early on that we had, along, you know, that my partner Gisa Caris brought to the to the firm was uh, working with some of the highest-paid major league baseball players in the country. Um but I always say we never looked at them as athletes. We don't like to put our clients in buckets. We just looked at looked at them the way we looked at every other client, and that to me is what uh, helped us expand in that uh, particular niche. Um, we never considered ourselves a, a sports shop or anything like that. We have a call it a sports division, uh, but to us, um, all our clients um, are, are are treated the same way and looked at the
1: same way. You talked about generally getting new clients through word of mouth and has that also been the pa- the case with professional athletes a hundred
0: percent you know going back to 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 where we came from which was Merrill Lynch um, when you're working with uh, uh, call it high profile clients they want more than just stocks and bonds right they want uh, that uh, that what I call that uh, family office uh S- service or, or value, right? Um, they wanted more than just a bull, like we joke around sometimes at the firm. <laughs> so we had to implement that as part of our value add.
1: And can you provide some specific examples of that, that high touch family office service? Sure. I'll
0: tell you the best story. We had a client uh, recently, uh, actually uh, last year, right before the pandemic, um, we helped him purchase uh, a racehorse. First time buying racehorses. Great story here. <laughs> uh so we had to, you know, literally buy uh uh what's that book? Uh, uh dummies for 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 racehorsing, because we how much did we know about racehorsing? But uh but all kidding aside, so we end up purchasing this horse. Horse happens to qualify for the Kentucky Derby. Can you imagine that? The first horse you ever purchase ends up qualifying for the Kentucky Derby. Pandemic comes, gets pushed out till September and in september right before the race the the horse uh catches a light fever while in kentucky and gets scratched from the from the race so it's a bitter sweet end <laughs> but uh it was quite an experience but we were involved from everything from uh purchasing the horse finding the you know the right place for the horse to be stabled at etc um and those are services that 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 go beyond you know your typical advisory service
1: yeah, I, I imagine back when you were at Merrill Lynch in the 90s, you had no idea that one day you'd be involved in helping to purchase a racehorse. <laughs> or cattle
0: for ranch owners, et cetera. No, exactly. But it's, once again, the, the, the key to this business, and, and I tell young folks this, it's you you got to be extension of the family. If you want to be really good at what you do, you, as a financial advisor, you have to be an extension of your client's family.
1: That's a great insight. And I have to say for newbies, you guys did pretty well with your, with your horse selection. They qualified for the Kentucky Derby.
0: One, hey, we're one hit wonders.
1: <laughs> but
0: no, it was a, it was a blessing and a client, the client experience, although the, the horse never raced, uh, was amazing.
1: Now, turning to, back to Florida, uh, obviously, the, the state tragically has seen a, a sharp surge in COVID cases in the past couple of months. Has that forced you to backtrack in terms of in-person meetings or working from the office?
0: So we had our plan. I mean, schools here start a little earlier, Ross. So uh, mid-August, our uh, our compliance uh, team and, and our COO had... Um, had said we're going to shoot for on August fifteenth to get back in the office. Most of our firm is, if not all of it, is uh, are vaccinated. So we all felt comfortable in that decision. Um, but wow, then we had this Delta surge that just shook us to the core. I mean, this thing just uh, the numbers were astronomical. Uh, about a month ago, uh, we're seeing the, the 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 the. We saw kind of like the peak numbers are getting a little better. But we 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 keep a close eye on two numbers, which is the 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 positive rates uh the percentage rate and and the number of people testing positive and we try to we're going to probably make a decision once that positivity rate uh, goes under 10 percent. so we'll play it safe you know business as usual things haven't changed but um but getting a full team back in the office we're going to put health first uh we want to keep everybody safe uh before we make that decision
1: Okay. George, uh, there's so much more that I'd like to ask you about today, but our time is, is almost up. Well, that was pretty quick. So in typical Barron's fashion, we like to end with an actionable idea. And I was wondering what idea or ideas you have to leave our listeners with? Sure. And in, in, in continuing in the, in
0: the culture conversation, I think uh, for RIAs and even for the larger firms, culture is very important. What we've seen with this pandemic, f- folks working from home and not being together, I think has affected the culture. So one of the things we've done besides having, you know, weekly Zooms, et cetera, and, and I'm very proud of this because it was it was it spearheaded by some of the younger folks at the firm is, the, is what is the book club, the Gentrust book club. And what that has done is uh, the, the team, you know, chooses a book um, that everybody reads, obviously, and then come together on a weekly basis to discuss that book. And that's really been a win for the firm, and it's you know it's that whole uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh it's that it's that it, it once again it just keeps everybody together having a common conversation. We surprised the team last uh, last week with uh, Eli actually knew one of the the authors of the book that was uh, that particular month, and so they got a little surprise when the author came into the Zoom and and was part of the discussion. So that was a win-win for, uh, for everybody.
1: Can you name some of the recent books you guys have been discussing?
0: Sure. The, the one I'm speaking to you now, it's uh, the emotionally intelligent, intelligent investor by Robbie Mehta. Uh, that's the, the latest one we read. So they're all kind of finance, you know, driven. Uh, but like I said, it's everybody's engaged, everybody across the firm and in all positions, but the younger folks has really have really excelled with this.
1: Wow. It seems like a great way to keep communication going between spread out, remote fellow employees. I love
0: the fact that it's spearheaded by the young folks, um, keeps them engaged and excited. Um, once again, it's we're, we're still not fully back. And there's folks that have started at the firm that really haven't seen a full office. So this you know, keeps them connected.
1: Anything else you'd like to add?
0: That's it. As we get close, uh, and I could add one more thing, is as we get close to the 20th year anniversary of uh, 9-11, once again, letting people know, you know, we, you know, we, you know, we shall never forget, right? This is uh, something, at least in my lifetime, that uh, everybody who comes from that Wall Street background was shaken to, the, to its core. So um, I just wanted to, you know, once again, mention that as, as part of the closing.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it's hard to believe it was 20 years ago. Amazing. Amazing. Well, George Perez, we uh, appreciate your time, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Ross. Pleasure. To our listeners, thanks so much for joining us. Tune in next week for another edition of The Way Forward.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Clearbridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with Clearbridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. Clearbridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more.